<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. From Business Insider, this is success. I'm Rich Filoni. We're back this week with Oracle co-CEO Mark Hurd. When he started at the company in 2010, he turned the place upside down. Hurd was anticipating a big shift in the industry, and he wanted to change how Oracle built and sold its software. The changes he made were dramatic. Hundreds of Oracle sales staff left the company within his first few years on the job, and Hurd was widely criticized by industry analysts. But he stuck to his plan. After about six years, the public's perception of that plan started to shift as hiring and sales ramped up. The company still has a ways to go, as it struggles to catch up to rivals in the cloud software business. But Hurd saw that Oracle, an established company, had to reinvent itself to stay competitive, even when this seemed like a terrible idea. Today, we're taking a closer look at Mark Hurd's first years at Oracle. We'll hear from Hurd about how he's approaching the challenges he's facing, and how Oracle's turnaround was a turnaround for him, too. Heard got the job at Oracle weeks after leaving HP, where he'd been CEO for five years. The 2010 departure was difficult for him. Even today, it's not something he feels comfortable talking about. Heard was forced to resign. That was after a public dispute with HP's board over his expense account and a personal relationship. He stepped down that August. How did you feel at the time, given the circumstances of the departure at HP? Were you angry at all with the situation? I liked HP. I liked the company. I liked the people, the company, uh, etc. I had a disagreement with a couple of board members, and so. But that's not HP. If you looked at our financial performance uh, and the performance of our of the company being HP at the time, um, it was you know quite quite positive. Larry Ellison, who had built and led Oracle since 1977, came to Hurd's defense. He and Hurd had worked closely while Hurd led HP, and Ellison thought the company made a huge mistake in letting him go. Ellison didn't wait for the situation to blow over. He hired Hurd as Oracle's president a month after Hurd was ousted from HP. So when did he approach you for the Oracle job? We had several meetings uh, about it uh, face-to-face and talked about it, uh, and, and the implications strategically on the industry, uh, the role that Oracle could play uh, within it, the role that, that I could do in helping uh, uh, Oracle uh, from a strategic perspective. And so we had all of those dialogues uh, as we talked about it. Oracle makes software that companies around the world use for everyday operations. When Hurd joined the company, the industry was in the early days of shifting to the cloud. 
All that means is that the software your head of HR would use, for example, could be accessed online from anywhere rather than installed on a single computer. It's simple in practice, but requires major shifts in operations. Well, of course, at the time, it was really just the beginnings of, of all this movement to the cloud. And the implication on, on, on Oracle was that we had to change many of the things we were doing, both in, in R&D and uh, in the go-to-market part of our business. And so, you know, part of the attraction, of course, is the complexity of all that. Uh, you know, it's one thing when you go to a company that's, that's struggling and you say, uh, we've got to change. Uh, and most everybody acknowledges that and says, gee, I see the results, I see the performance, uh, we have to do something different. It's a very another thing when you go to a company that's winning. And here's a company in Oracle that's, that's winning, um, that's uh, got tremendous market presence, uh, tremendous brand, um, and then you say, hey, in the middle of all that, we gotta change. And, and the first question that comes up from a lot of people is, uh, well, why would that be? And so then when you have to describe that there's a coming change in the industry, um, it's, it's probably, not probably, I, I, I think it's the most difficult leadership uh, challenge that you have is to take uh, a group of people winning and then convince them it's, it's, it's necessary to change uh, because there's resistance more than, you're, more than you're, you're typically used to. And so this idea of let's transform even though we're winning and people are comfortable doing things these way. Did that stem from Larry or did that, was that how you read the situation? We spent a lot of time talking about the industry um, because this change was, was coming, but it was at its very infancy uh, at the time. I think one of the, the blessings you have with, a, with, a, with somebody like Larry, and that when I say somebody like, there's not many to compare. Um, frankly, if any, uh, certainly in the enterprise space, um, is that you have somebody who uh, is a big owner in the company, uh, the biggest owner of the company, uh, that thinks a bit more generationally, uh, certainly than quarterly. I think if we didn't uh, mutually agree on the need for change, it, it, would never, it would never work. And by the way, it's not like we agree on everything. Um, but the great thing about about Larry, amongst many, is that uh, you have a lot of a lot of debate, and and I can't tell you how many times he said, "Yeah, you're right. Let's let's do what you said." And by the way, the same same way. I mean, you know, we compare notes a lot, talk about a lot, and agree on certainly materially more than we don't. But if it wasn't mutual, it wouldn't work. Your first day as president, your first several days, what did you see at the company that? made you think, okay, we're going to have to completely transform the way sales are done here? I think Oracle historically um, has been thought of as to be perhaps the greatest sales force in the IT industry. Um, and I wouldn't try to persuade you differently. Um, now, all that said, our industry um, holistically had had matured into a bad space, in my opinion. 30 years ago, when Herd was starting out in the IT industry, companies would hire entry-level employees and groom them to succeed at the company. You would come out of college and you would go to work at a company and you would actually get trained uh, by the company. You'd have 
trainers, enablers, people that would help you, uh, teach you about how to sell, how to listen, how to communicate, uh, all sorts of great skills that, that frankly, I still use uh, today. And training was looked at as an investment, uh, not as an expense. And what happened over the years is that training, again, became viewed as a, uh, an expense as opposed to an investment. And what began happening was all of this mercenary hiring. Uh, you'd go to work for this company, and then you'd go to another company, another company, another company. And it was a bit like all the companies putting their bad salespeople in the middle of the table, and we just swap uh, bad salespeople with a strategy that your bad salesperson would be great once they came to our place. So you wanted to kind of bring it back to the, to the, yeah. the world that you had yeah. started I up mean, in? And, 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 and maybe hopefully a little better than that. Sure. Because of the nature of cloud, what now was a technology that could only be bought by the biggest companies would now be available to every company, no matter what scale. You didn't need to have an IT staff. You didn't need to have a data center. Um, you could just now get all of this great intellectual property basically over, over the internet. And so as a result of that, the need to grow our sales force became very important. And was this essentially for Oracle to survive in this new setting? I'd actually say to thrive. Um, and, and so it wasn't like we had a problem, you know, if we dial all the way back to 2010, that we had a cash flow problem or we weren't about to make payroll or anything like that. Again, we were a, a very successful company saying in the middle of that success, let's, let's You were change. looking ahead of it. Yeah, so how are we gonna, how's this market gonna work five years from now? The cloud was about to revolutionize how the IT industry did business. The product was changing. The customers were changing. And that meant the salespeople had to change too. I would say my view has always been that the more focused you can make a salesperson, meaning the more I can get them to do the same thing every day, um, the better chance they have of winning. So my view has always been to focus them on knowing their product, uh, knowing their buyer, uh, knowing, knowing their industry, and frankly, knowing their competitor. And so the fact that we can bring people to market that are expert at all of these issues raises their chance of success. Now, if you, if you believe that, and I do, then how you then build a sales force becomes, becomes important based on those building blocks. So for us, for example, if we're selling an application uh, like HR, it would become important if that you were a salesperson, you knew how to communicate to a head of HR. It would be important that you would know your competitor. It would be important that you could describe that discussion in terms of HR in the context of retail or uh, financial services or one of, those, one of those industries. So that's how we built our sales force, building block by building block, and then we build them appropriately for the markets all the way from the biggest customer to the smallest customer. So that's how, that's how we build it. While Heard was starting to roll out cloud software, he was still pushing Oracle's core business technology, the stuff the company had been selling for years. And his goals for those sales were ambitious. To encourage his sales force to meet them, he made their paychecks more dependent on their performance. Skeptical employees complained that it created a more complex and stressful work environment. Building incentives are always important, but frankly, if you're building an org as a running a company, as a CEO, is you work on three core things, um, strategy, uh, operations, um, and then people. And the incentives piece aligned to the operations piece. And the key to operations is to execute the strategy. 
So in our case, our strategy was to really move the market to this next generation of applications. And then we wanted to incent our sales force properly to move to these next set of modern applications, which is what we, what, which is what we did. When you were saying that when you have a, a team that's winning and you want them to change the way they're doing things, you're going to face some resistance. So some it, might be an understatement. Hundreds of salespeople left the company during Heard's first few years, including some of the team's top performers. Heard insists this did not upset his plan. You know, when you have 35 or 40,000 people in your, in your sales org, uh, you will have people that, that, that move. We move from really a products offered strategy, which is basically we would sell you a product. You would then implement it sometimes by yourself or with a systems integrator or something like that. And we move to selling a service. So we're really selling a different thing that we had before. Now we basically said, no, you're going to have to sell to the functional buyer. You're going to have to sell to that head of HR or to that CFO. Now you're saying to the people, we're going to change what you sell and we're going to change who you sell it to. And so a lot of people said, I just don't want to do that. And, and my view is that that's okay. I mean, it's, you know, we need to have people that are excited and passionate. I, I don't want to make it sound like I was for a lot of dynamism in the sales force, but I wasn't against it either. Do you think that you would have felt as confident making huge changes at the company had you not had that specific relationship with Larry? Oh, uh, assuredly not. Assuredly not. I mean, I would have probably I would have had the same belief structure. When you have the ability to talk through issues with a people that are extremely smart, uh, b people that really care, um, c people that have a breadth of experience, um, this is what most CEOs don't have. Heard started hiring new people to help carry out his business plan. He didn't want to poach salespeople from his competitors, as was standard in the industry. Instead, he wanted to hire people brand new to IT, recent college grads, and get them on board with his new vision for the business. We really moved into this very aggressive college hiring program because what I really thought made sense was us to to hire our own. Uh, We went back and, of course, we found there were very few IT companies recruiting on campus. Believe it or not, over 85% of the people we offered job to accept that job. The problem we had back then, though, was that we had no machinery. There was no process for it. Yeah, it's like, okay, well, who's going to do that? Okay, well, let's get some people that can yeah. go do that. We figured out where the schools were. We figured out how to recruit. We figured out how to cut an offer letter. But then when we brought them on board, we had to actually train them. So we had to build a strategy to go get the best young people in this country frankly, to put them in the best facilities, which we didn't have, give them the best tools, which we didn't have, uh, to give them the best management, which was new because a lot of this was new management uh, mentoring uh, some of these great young people, and give them the best training. So when you start saying best, 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 and you start with, I've got nothing, 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 uh, the whole process over the last few years has been get each one of those pillars I described to being the best at what we do and build our sales force from the ground up. But some Oracle veterans weren't on board with this new training program. Not only did they essentially have to learn how to do a new job, they had to mentor some kids straight out of college. A former Oracle employee told Business Insider in 2013 that the company was getting a bad reputation among experienced salespeople in the industry. Heard says it was just a painful but necessary byproduct of change. 
In the end of the day, I take complete accountability uh, for the strategy that I described. I, I believe that it was best for our customers uh, and best for Oracle for us to make this change. Um, and no question it was dynamic. Uh, no question that when you're part of a dynamic change, um, anytime you make decisions, you get opinions. You know, there are going to be people that say, I really liked it the way it was. And, and, and listen, I wish history was a perfect predictor of the future, but it's not. And, and the world we're in in IT is dynamic and it changes. It changes every day. And for us, we needed to stay ahead of this. And there's no question the implication of, of quote unquote, staying ahead of this um, has some element of, 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 of pain to it. Did you ever question your strategy? No. 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 What were conversations with Larry like at this point? Um, when there was some tumult? Probably his biggest quotes would be things like, can you go faster? So as a leader, how do you know when to take resistance and be, okay, let me reconsider, and then also think that, okay, this is just the pain of change. I don't have to really dwell on this. How do you differentiate that? First of all, I think it's hard. I think uh, nobody likes um, criticism, resistance, no matter what anybody anybody tells you. That said, I think you have to rely on, on your experience, your instincts, um, as to where you think the market's headed and these changes are necessary. I've always you know, believed it was the company first. I believe to the core, we ha A, we had to expand our sales force. Uh, B, we couldn't do it through the traditional uh, uh, mechanisms in our industry. We simultaneously moved into the mid-market. We moved to college hiring. We built an in-house training program. We did all of these things simultaneously. And to add to it, when you ask managers who have historically managed very experienced people, and you say, hey, I have an idea. We're going to bring some kids right off the college campus. I'd really appreciate if you'd spend some time mentoring them and developing them. Um, it's amazing that they'd say, I'd rather not do that. See, it, it's very, it's, it's counterinstinctive to you, but if you had a sales manager and you had two people working for you, let's pretend your objectives for the year were $10 million, and you had one salesperson who had a $10 million quota and a second salesperson who had just come out of college. Who do you think the sales manager spends all their time with? The person with the $10 million quota. So we had the issues also from a moray perspective of just mores of the company of, was it important to really develop and, and mentor these people? Mentorship would be as important. The company I grew up in, it was, it was just a, an unspoken value in the company that if you could sit around and, and brag about all the great people you developed in the company who are now in senior positions, this was a merit badge. This was something you wore on your sleeve. And, and, and there was no comp for it. There was no stock option for it. It was just a source of pride and, and a belief this was the way things were to get done. We needed that inside our company as well, and we still work on it today. In 2014, Larry Ellison stepped down as head of Oracle and appointed Heard and Safra Katz co-CEOs. As far as Heard was concerned, the new title didn't change anything. His plan was the same. Did that put a new pressure on you, being given this new title? I, I don't think I would say it changed. I think we felt 
the pressure to move the company along, to accelerate the company, to add velocity to execution of the company, and and do that in a way where we can we can deliver today and build for tomorrow. Because remember, that's 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 our challenge: is that we have a a, a very large customer base that expects us to deliver on products in some cases that we built years and years and years ago. And we have to do that. That's our commitment to them. Mark Hurd spent years defending his plan to his employees, investors, and industry analysts. And by 2017, the skeptics were coming around to his way of thinking. Even veteran salespeople who had been critical of the big changes Hurd was making could see that his plan was paying off. One went on the record with the Wall Street Journal. He said his initial response to Hurd's plan had been, what the hell is this? But when he saw how much money the new hires made the company, he changed his mind. When I read Heard this quote, he brushed it off, just like the criticisms I'd run past him earlier. Of course his plan worked. That was the plan. I wouldn't give too much credence to the early anecdote you brought up or to any other anecdote, right? Because I think you can find a lot of these uh, as you dig through a large organization. I think the key is that strategically... This was right for us, and I believe you will see more people actually uh, imitate that strategy um, because it, it, it just makes sense. It, it sounds like you're not concerned about the media coverage picking different anecdotes for what your plan would say, but would it be different if one of your colleagues approached you or one of your shareholders approached you, whether it was either skepticism in the first place years ago or saying like, I'm really happy with how this is playing out. Would you consider that differently? Well, let me, let me be clear. I, of course I'd consider it. I remember one investor saying, you know, I had bought the stock thinking that you were smart, meaning me, uh, the implication being that they flipped their point of view uh, based on the rise in our, in our expense structure. And the point that I would make is that in this case, we had to invest in order to gain productivity. There's something that I think was interesting. A a moment at an all-hands in 2016, um, you had polled the audience about big three uh, industry predictions, which would happen fastest, and uh, 42% said that none of these will ever happen. You joked about it. And but is that like a recurring thing where you're met maybe with like some skepticism from employees at first and then you have to convince them along the way? What I do frequently at our user conference is I make predictions about the industry and I, I do them for a couple purposes. One, they're they're funny and you know, people yeah, yeah. have various reactions to them. Uh, second, I try to explain to customers why we're investing uh, the way we are in particularly products and and R&D because of these secular trends that we see occurring in the industry. I mean, for example, we see data centers, corporate data centers, really going away. We see applications that are traditionally on-premise all moving to the cloud. So we we typically make these, these predictions. And then also we use them internally to show why we're making the adjustments we're making in the various things we do strategically and operationally. So yeah, I would test my predictions on our own uh, workforce, and then you get various reactions like, this is crazy. Uh, or really, is this gonna happen? And it opens up debate and it's, uh, it's fun. So as we've been kind of talking about an example where you took something that was really ambitious and it met with some resistance, people even leaving the company, would this be something that you would be willing to do all over again with a new plan? If necessary, yeah. 
Yeah, I think I think that um, we feel good about strategically where Oracle sits today. We feel good about the the changes we've made. I'm not here to tell you that everything we've done, we've done perfectly, but I am here to tell you that um, we feel very good about the decisions we've made, the investments we've made. We've continued to make changes uh, where necessary, maybe at a lesser scale within the context of a product or a solution or uh, various other parts of the company, and we would always be dynamic in that nature. And looking at it, do you think that maybe there could have been a different way to communicate that to staff to maybe keep some of those veteran hires from leaving? I'm not sure that's the approach you would want to take. I think that a leader's job is to describe this is where we're headed. Um, This is where we are. This is the journey to get from here to there. Uh, These are now the resources we're going to apply to get from here to there. And I tried to do some explaining of, you know, things like training and and changes in our compensation, our incentives, our management mores, et cetera. There are people who say, listen, I'm just not up for that. Um, You're talking about things that are going to require work and change, and some people are up for it and some people are not. And I think if you don't have passion and you're not excited about the task at hand, the likelihood that you'd have as much success as you're having uh, is, 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 is very light, unlikely. You know, I think we want people that are excited about the mission. I, I, I don't really enjoy saying this, but some of that is necessary to get from here to there. So if you have an ambitious plan and some people aren't signed on to it, that's okay? You know, you hate to say it that way because it, it feels like it's a, non, it's a non-empathetic uh, answer, but the, the answer is yes. You know, that when you, you say, listen, we're going to move from here to there, not everybody is going to like it. And, and, and as a result, I think if somebody wants to opt out because they don't like it, I, in the end, I do think that's okay. So it's looking at the last eight years or so at Oracle, how do you say that your leadership style has changed over that time, if it has? I don't change my view. You need to lead from in front. Um, and, and to me, that's with us, with our customers, and, and with our people. And so that's still my, my primary view, that uh, communicating uh, to our customers, communicating to our people is important. I still believe the role of, of leading these companies is about strategy. It is about aligning the operations uh, to the execution of the strategy, and then really surrounding the company with the best possible people. You know, we're all faced with, in any of these jobs, making, you know, hundreds and thousands of decisions every day. It doesn't mean you're going to get them all right. I have confidence enough, though, in the process that if, if I make a decision, I'm, I'm willing to listen to where I've, if, if I've made a bad decision, let's, let's, let's review it and do it again. You asked a simple question to begin with. Um, do I feel confident in the strategy of Oracle? I do. Well, thank you, Mark. Thank you. A few weeks after I spoke with Mark Hurd, Oracle reported its third quarter earnings. The company's stock is fine, but Oracle is still facing intense competition from other companies working in the cloud. In order to succeed, the company needs to develop more cloud technology and convince customers they should choose Oracle over its competitors. Mark Hurd still has a lot of work to do. Thanks for listening to This Is Success from Business Insider. Our executive producer is Dan Bobkoff. Today's episode was produced by Sarah Wyman and Jennifer Siegel. I'm Rich Filoni. We're working on some new episodes of This Is Success that we'll be releasing soon. 
Make sure you don't miss them by subscribing to the feed on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Google Play. In the meantime, shoot us an email at audio at businessinsider.com. Let us know which episodes of success you've enjoyed and who you'd like to hear from in the next season. And don't forget to give us a rating. It really helps new people find the show. Until next time. This is Success is a production of Insider Audio.